What's up, guys? It's Liz Kelly. We're launching a new podcast with our very own staff writer, Shay Serrano, called Villains. It's an eight-episode series that dissects iconic movie villains like Hannibal Lecter from Silence of the Lambs, Regina George from Mean Girls, and Killmonger from Black Panther. The first episode comes out on Thursday, November 15th, but you can check out the trailer and subscribe right now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to GM Street, part of the Ringer Podcast Network. It is Tuesday, it is November 13th, and I don't know about you, Lombardi, but I woke up feeling pretty dangerous. I love it, Big Fraser. I love it. Anytime you can steal from Baker Mayfield, you might as well take it, right? Yeah. I mean, why not? I mean, look, he was dangerous. I mean, look, he played good. I thought the Falcons would pull the upset. Little did I know that uh, Matt Ryan is about three yards less on the road than he is at home on yards per attempt, the idiot that I am. Uh, you know, he, Matt Ryan averages 988 at home yards per attempt. He's at 694 on the road. I'm an idiot. Why would I think Atlanta was going to win that game? Seriously. Well, we saw Matt Ryan's frustration, and uh, I, I would say my dangerous is a little bit different than uh, than our boy Baker Mayfield, the number one pick in the draft, of course. But uh, it's because we got two of our favorite characters in the GM Street universe that came back uh, to fruition in, in, in good news uh, for the most part. And, and the first guy I want to talk about, we're going to get to Huey Headlines, who is back in the fold uh, full-time now as an assistant to the head coach. Uh, Dwight Schrute is probably happy to hear that, uh, that someone else took his title. But first, got to talk about Ferris Bueller, and that is OBJ, of course. Course, and uh, the the New York Giants last night, they come down. Eli Manning leads his uh, 36 game-winning drive since 2004. That is third in the NFL, only behind Big Ben and Drew Brees, two guys we both know a lot about here on this program. Eli takes him down. The Giants get a nice win there. Uh, the 49ers are very upset with some calls late in that game, some defensive pass interferences. Our boy Ferris drew a nice one. Nice acting skills on the outside to get a, get a good call, and then they come down, and Eli delivers and gets a win for the Giants. So uh, seven more, says OBJ, after the game, and, and they're going to make a run for the playoffs if, if, if that was a good performance by eli if that's what people think is a good performance then then i'm completely off my rocker i mean that's just like to me under through a couple balls i mean I, you know the 49ers on defense i've said this to you all year long i don't get them on defense they're completely consistently always in the wrong place they make way too many mistakes they try to do too much they're just truly the definition of battleship football on defense they can't really do anything. And then, you know, when they need to make a play, they can't make one. They blow the coverage. They single up Odell Beckham. I mean, how do you do that, Dave Crazy? How do you do it in the red zone where you let you let Odell just get a, a release, vertical release, and then separate and throw a touchdown? I mean, how do you do that? Makes no sense to me whatsoever. But they do it week in and week out, and they wonder why they're not winning. You know, that's the problem. The 49ers defensively is really poorly, to me, they're poorly coordinated. They're poorly coached on game day. They don't make adjustments. And then they wonder why they're not winning. I mean, you know, there's probably in their season, there's at least three or four other wins. They could could have beat Arizona twice. They could have beat the Giants last night. And they just let the game slip away. And we've seen uh, Gus Bradley came out uh, a couple weeks ago and he said that the NFL, everyone is blitzing less uh, for fear of big plays. And uh, as we're watching the broadcast last night on Monday Night Football, they were clamoring for uh, the 49ers to send some blitzes at Eli. 
they finally do send a blitz, and he has the, the perfect call is drawn up. I don't know who made the call, whether Sherman made the call or it was an adjustment at the line, but Saquon, you know, fakes an out route, runs an angle route, and that ends up being the biggest play on the drive and leads to, I mean, he hurdles a guy at the end. Richard Sherman pushes him out of bounds, and uh, that, that led to the the touchdown that gets them the win on Monday Night Football, and it was Eli getting the pressure, Eli making a quick decision. So we will we will give Eli Manning credit for that, and we will give the Giants credit. We'll see if they have seven more wins in them. Uh, OBJ, after the game, you know, showed a lot of maturity on Monday Night Football. Steve Young was almost taken aback by, uh, you know, uh, how he was able to be so humble in the situation and say that he feels like he owes the franchise so much for what they've been able to, you know, invest in him moving forward. So, all good things for Ferris Bueller. Speaking of uh, characters that that are all good things are going on, Hugh Jackson has returned to the Queen City, Cincinnati, to join one of his best friends, a guy that, uh, you know, he was supposed to be the head coach in waiting at one time before he took the Cleveland Browns job uh, under Marvin Lewis. And Marvin Lewis was very happy to bring back Hugh. And the, the interesting thing to me, Lombardi, with this, and I can't wait to hear your opinion on it, but uh, he's going to be helping with the defense, a defense that gave up 51 points this week to the to the New Orleans Saints. I thought he was an offensive mastermind. Why is he helping with the defense? Well, I think Hugh, you know, having Hugh back is like having Gloria Trillo back in the dream sequence of The Sopranos. You know, <laughs> whenever Gloria would come back, it was like made by day. It was like the, the most unbelievable thing. I mean, Big Puss came back. I liked it. You know, Ralphie came back. I liked it. Some other, Patsy Parisi came back. I liked it, you know. But when Gloria came back, I loved it. I mean, I'm not going to lie. I loved it. I mean, Annabella Scioria, I mean, I just love when she showed up on the screen. And now having Huey back, it's the best. It's truly the best. And what I like about this move so much so is you get to utilize Hugh's skills as a game manager. You get to utilize Hugh's skills as a schemer from offense on how you should coach the defense. And I got to think, if you're Jim Haslett and you're on that staff and Huey Headlines walks in and he's going to start telling Haslett how they should run the defense, you got to be absolutely off your rocker. I mean, Haslett's got to be sitting there just biting his nails down to nothing because he was a head coach in the NFL. He was a good coordinator at one time. He got passed over for the, the defense coordinator's job in Cincinnati for Terrell Austin. And now he's getting Huey coming in here. I mean, can he get slapped in the face anymore? I mean, seriously. I mean, as Uncle Junior said, it, he shows him his head and he slaps it away. So, I mean, this is just too good to be true. And this Bengal defense, I mean, to be real honest, I mean, they have too much talent, especially up front, to play to the level that they played this year. I mean, to give up 51 in a game is unbelievable. you got to be really bad. And, you know, I don't know how much Hughes really going to help, but it's going to be great to have them back. It is going to be great. And Marvin Lewis, after the game, was asked uh, what would what would happen with the defensive play calling. He said, I've got a plan. And he sheepishly smiled. And then he was asked about Hugh Jackson joining the staff. And he laughed. And he said, watch and see. As if they have some plan that they've been cooking up. Of course, we both know that uh, Hugh Jackson and Marvin Lewis are known for, you know, that they call each other brothers. Uh, they talk on the phone every single week. Um, and, and when he was first let go on October 29th, they asked, you know, Marvin Lewis about the chance of Hugh returning. And he said, I'm not going to make a headline. And we should have known right then, knowing, knowing that it's Huey headline, that that was a nice little joke that uh, that Huey would be back in the fold at some point. So we're very to ha- we're very happy to have him back. We're going to see if that Bengals uh, defense can buy into what Hugh's selling uh, on that on that side of the football. And now that Marvin's going to be calling uh, the defensive plays, you know, we now have a guy to point at, uh, which is the head coach now for the Bengals. Yeah, I mean, look, the, the, the Bengals. I mean, the last three weeks, okay, the Bengals have given up five fifty one, five seventy six. And 509. The last three weeks, the Bengals have given up 198 yards rushing, 126, and 244. 
Their best game they ever played was against Brock Osweiler, where they gave up 297. That was actually Tannehill in that game, and he turned the ball over three times. So, I mean, whoever coaches this defense has got their work cut out for them. But this defense has been obviously on a downward trend for a long, long time, and it's not going to change. I mean, when you look at what they do and how they play, I mean, it's just not very good. And I think that Huey coming in there is not going to matter. But look, you know, what we saw on on Sunday is even their offense can't quite get going. They make mistakes. I mean, that Andy Dalton interception at the end of the half was just atrocious. And then for the fact that they score to make it 35-7 to at the end of the half, they don't even reroute the receiver coming down the scene. I mean, there's so many details that are never going to get fixed with the Bengals. It's going to be hard to believe. If the Ravens don't just offensively score a ton of points on them this week, then there's no hope for the Ravens' offense. Well, and then we, maybe we can give credit to Huey Headlines if the defense steps up and makes it happen. Uh, you talk about atrocious. Oh, yeah. Let's move on. I mean, we we do this, the five things that jump out to you every single week. Obviously, those are two big things that jump out. Ferris Bueller back in the fold, Hugh Jackson back in the fold. And now we got to talk about the Oakland Raiders, a team that uh, Derek Carr, you know, for lack of a better term, has been pretty bad. Uh, maybe atrocious is the right term, but the Chargers go in, they get a win. Uh, Phil Rivers continues his dominance, his recent dominance over the Oakland Raiders. They win 20-6 in this one. I think the most uh, illuminating fact that we saw in this game, there was a fourth down at one point, uh, very end of the game, and Derek Carr decided to throw the ball away, and he was frustrated because he had forgotten that that would be a turnover on downs. Uh, Mark Davis came out and said that he was you know, very upset with how things had played out, and it had been a, a downward spiral since 2014, a lot of misevaluation. Uh, John Gruden came out and said he echoes those sentiments. He feels the exact same way with how everything's going in Oakland. So everybody's upset with how things are playing out. They're now 1-8 and eight on the season. And is there any hope for Oakland or is it just tank your way to the bottom, get get those picks, use those picks that you've been uh, trying to get together and just basically rebuild the team from inside out? And, you know, maybe Derek Carr is not the guy for the future at this point uh, based on what we've seen so far. Yeah, you know, I, I think that's the biggest shock to all of us. I mean, look, you know, Carr's play this year, 10 touchdowns, eight interceptions. I mean, that was the fifth time I heard this on uh, on VSN, VSIN. This week, uh, Paulie Howard, one of the morning host guys, said it was the fifth time that Carr's thrown the ball away on fourth down. I mean, how can that be? How could you have no awareness? Like, you're not even knowing what's going on? I mean, the Raiders have gotten beat the last five weeks by 16, 24, 14, 31, and 14. And that may have been competitive. I mean, I don't know how Vegas sets the line for them. And, you know, and like I've been saying all along, it's becoming clearer and clearer is when you have a franchise quarterback, you never rebuild, you repair. But when you're getting beat by these double-digit numbers, you don't have a franchise quarterback. And yes, I understand Brandon Parker, the right tackle, is not very good, and Colton Miller, the left tackle, both rookies are not very good, and that creates a problem. But this is really what Carr did on Sunday. I mean, the Chargers didn't even bring their A game. And the Chargers played about a C-minus game. If it were just watching it, when you rewatch the tape, they really weren't operating on all cylinders. They made just enough plays to have a 14-point win. And I think, to me, if you're John Gruden sitting in your office, you've really got to say, hey, man, this quarterback, I don't know if this can work. I don't think he's going to be mentally tough enough to handle the demands of the season, the volume of the season, and the pressure that I keep putting on him, which most quarterbacks have to have to excel. I just don't know if it's going to happen, Dave Frazier. And I think as you're... If you're Mark Davis, you're Reggie McKenzie, the decision makers, and John Gruden in that organization, you got to look and say, wait a minute, I, I don't know if we've evaluated this quarterback correctly because it doesn't look like he's the right guy. I mean, the last four weeks, he's thrown three touchdown passes, and three of them were against Indy. 
I mean, he's been shut out and throwing touchdown passes. I mean, it's flat out remarkable. Like he can't make a play. Which comes down to to me, Lombardi, when you're looking at that 2019 draft. I mean, uh, Will Greer is a guy that comes to mind, I guess, when you're trying to think about a guy in the second round possibly they could go after. And then you think about free agency. You have a guy like Teddy Bridgewater that will be a free agent. guy like Ryan Fitzpatrick. I mean, there's not that many people that they can pull from to, to, to jumpstart this Raiders offense. I mean, they pulled that trick play early in the game with the fake punt. That's probably the most exciting play of the season. And it was a 42-yard fake punt. Second longest rush of the year for the, for the, for the Raiders. Marshawn Lynch has 51 yards. I think that kid did it for 42. Second longest rush of the season. And look, when you do it, and when you see it, when you watch this team, you know, the other day, the Giants are making a big deal that Dave Gettleman, the general manager, went up to Oregon to scout Justin Habert. Uh, you know, well, look, I mean, that's, you know, that's great. You do your job. You got to scout them. I mean, you get every single copy of every single game. Uh, and, uh, you know, so you can watch him and it's great. But what I'm told reliably is that his brother is a senior in high school and he wants to play with his brother next year. Now, people say, well, you know, that'll change. From everything I'm told, that's the kid's plan. And that's everything that the kid wants to do. And when you're playing at Oregon with Phil Knight and the Nike brand, I think, you know, I think things work out for you. And so there's no quarterback. I mean, who's going to come out in the draft? I, I, you know, Will Greer, is he going to be that pick? I mean, other than... Where are you going to find the next quarterback? I think that's the Giants' dilemma. So, you know, if you're if you are the Raiders, I mean, look, you got to find you got to find a solution somewhere. And you just can't give up because I think right now this guy just isn't playing well enough for you to to think you can win a title with him. I mean, that's ultimately the goal, right? The goal for John Gruden is to win a title. The goal isn't just to make the play. The win is the title. When you come back, it's the goal is to win the title. And the good news, I guess, if you are a John Gruden fan and a John Gruden believer, is that you do have. I guess nine more years to figure out how to win a title and figure out how to rebuild a team. It sounds like Mark Davis and John Gruden both want to build from the ground up. So uh, Rome wasn't built in a day. Uh, the Raiders won't be built in a day. It'll be in a couple of years when they get all these draft picks together and try to formulate who they are and try to refine who they are as a team and, and try to find that identity. And then let's talk about two teams that have an identity and know who they are and have franchise quarterbacks. And it was one of the best games of the weekend, a game uh, that was completely back and forth. Even when had a nice uh, Sebastian Janikowski uh, onside kick for all the Raiders fans out there to remember the good old days a little bit. Uh, the Rams get out of this one 36-31. This was a, a Seahawks team that really needed a win to, to stay in the fold in, in the NFC race. They're now 4-5 and five after this one. The Rams battled back. Unfortunately, Cooper Cup does go down, Jared Goff's number one target uh, this season. And after the game, Sean McVay said uh, that it didn't look very good. Despite that, I mean, there were a lot of good signs if, if you are a Rams fan, especially to see Dante Fowler get a nice, uh, you know, fumble recovery. First forces the fumble on Russell Wilson, then recovers it, takes all the way down uh, close to the one, and they end up getting an easy score for a touchdown. But just seeing that Rams team being able to battle back and get some good plays on defense, Sean McVay was fired up at the end of that game. Uh, when Russell Wilson on fourth down almost went and decided to run for it, but then at the last second, and decided to heave it up and uh, it goes over the head of a receiver and that was the end of the game and you you could see the emotion on the sideline from the Rams. Uh, they're going to head down to Mexico City this week but but just from both sides of this game, Lombardi, just seeing how close, you know, it's a game of inches as Al Pacino once famously said. So uh, that game really, uh, you know, that that was the the poster child of that statement it's, it felt like this week. Yeah, you know, and, and you know, Kate Frazier, when you rewatch that game, I mean, the Rams' defense is just not very good. I mean, they can't stop the run. They can't stop spread runs. You know, they can't stop spread runs. Their edge force isn't always good, and, and they get caught in some bad positions. And, you know, they were fortunate to win that game. When you give up over three, 273 yards rushing, eight, eight yards a carry, 
you know, and, and, and really, to me, Wilson has a chance. I mean, he just couldn't make an explosive play in the passing game. What really won the game for the Rams was they were able to get off the field on third down. I mean, Wilson was two for nine on third down. And so, you know, they still gained 414 yards in the game. So I, I'm worried about the Rams. I mean, this game in Mexico City, which I, I, I hope they don't play it down there. I really don't. Not that I don't think the fans of Mexico shouldn't see two great teams. But the way that field looks, the way it looked to me when I watched ESPN this morning, to me, there should be no reason you go down there. Those, if we care about player safety, then we can't let the players go down there and play on that crap. I mean, it's altitude. It's a tough game. I mean, this game deserves to be played in a venue where we can all enjoy it on a fast track so we can appreciate the greatness of both teams offensively. But for the Rams, I mean, look, the Rams defensively, they've got a lot of work to do. And Fowler made two bonehead plays on pass on, on unnecessary roughness, and he kind of rewarded them back. But, you know, the one thing Fowler does give them is because of the two power guys inside, I mean, Aaron Donald's tremendous. He's got 12 and a half sacks already this year. And, and, you know, he pushes that pocket. And so really all Fowler has to do is run up the field, and the quarterback's going to step backwards, like what Rodgers does and what Russell Wilson loves, loves to do is which go out backwards and then falls into a sack. So, if I'm the Rams, I'm nervous about my defense. I really am. I think this is problematic. I'm ner- I'm still nervous about my red zone offense. I mean, they were four for seven in the red zone last week. Not Again, not good. Who replaces Cooper Cup, Josh Reynolds? I think there's a lot of questions. But the one thing that I think is clear is the Rams understand that they keep ha- they never take their foot off the gas. They keep pounding it down. And they're gonna, if they're going to take some 40 to win, they're going to go 40. I mean, it's just, they're just truly a remarkable offense. And like Romo was saying during the game, Dave Frazier, they don't run that many plays. They just run a lot of different things off the same place. Simple to complex is always better. What the 49ers do and what some of these other teams do is they start out complex and they can't adjust to the week. But the great coaches always start out simply and adjust to the upcoming opponent based on what they're doing. So their base is simple. They know what they want to do, and so then they can attack the adjustment. But when your base is complex, you can't ever do that. That's why you see some bad defenses like San Francisco's defense, really, and like the Giants' defense, some other defenses around the league. And let's talk about making defensive adjustments. And and one team that did that this week, and it's become sort of a pattern at this point. Uh, you look back at you know what Mangini was able to do. You look at uh, what Josh McDaniels was able to do when he was with the Broncos. We saw what Patricia did early in the season. And then Mike Vrabel. Uh, there was a nice little tidbit Rodney Harrison was talking about in practice when Vrabel was a linebacker for the Patriots. He would always try to get after Tom Brady, especially trying to rush up the middle and make sure that guys were playing man and physical on the outside. That's exactly what the Titans did to the Patriots this week. There were no free access passing zones uh, for Tom Brady. He took a lot of hits up the middle. We even saw a couple times he was taking hits and guys on the defense for the Titans were picking him up, you know, just to get a shot and, you know, know, shaking hands with Brady. But you could see the frustration uh, from him uh, oozing out, not being able to get guys open. But Vrabel understood what the Patriots wanted to do on offense. Offense. He was able to attack the offense. We talk about that a lot on this program, uh, being able to attack the defense or attack the offense. Vrabel was very much on the offensive, on the defensive side, um, and they get a nice win, thirty-four to ten. And you talk about Belichick. Uh, you know, they have a very, you know, it is there is so much that is built into their game plan. But it seems like some of these guys, their first time going against, uh, you know, the master himself, they get the best of them just because they know what Bill Belichick and what Tom Brady are looking for. And uh, was that something you saw this week, or was it just simply the Patriots didn't show up and, and some of those guys got revenge, including Deion Lewis? Well, look, I think that the Titans played really well. I think that the Patriots' problems on the road have been uh, 
have been have been showed up every single time. They're two and three on the road. The last time they've been two and three were sub five. They were five hundred in two thousand and thirteen. They're just not a good road team. I think Brady averages under seven yards per pass completion on the road. The yards per attempt, he's under seven. He's been sacked ten times on the road. They can't establish any kind of run game. I mean, the one road game that they won was well, they've run two road games. They beat Buffalo. That was a tough game. I mean, they struggled in that game as well. The one game they won was Chicago with your guy, Mitchell Trubisky. And, and so, you, you know, I, I think to me, it, this is not a good Patriots team. I've been saying it all year. And they struggle to make explosive plays. You know, Josh Gordon doesn't look as fast as he once was. I think he's been covered up. And, you know, whether they have Gronk or don't have Gronk, I think it's really problematic for them. And then they're on the road. They didn't have Shaq Mason at right guard. Ted Karras had a play in there. I thought the Titans did a great job. But it was shocking that Mariota was able to throw the ball as well as he did. And Corey Davis, here's a guy, Kate Frazier, who's had one play over 25 yards all season. It was week three against the Eagles. He had a 51-yarder. The guy rarely makes big plays down the field, and he had seven for 125 in the game. I mean, that's not good. You know, that's not good. And they weren't able to ever get control of the game. And, you know, whenever the... Whenever the Titans needed to make a play, they made a play. I mean, when you're three for 15 on third down, like the Patriots were, you're not going to win any games. You can't control the football. You got 50, first of all, when you have 15 third downs, you have way too many. You're not making any big plays, right? So you're not making any, if you have 15 third downs, you're not making any big plays. The Rams, you know, average less than 10 third downs a game because they're always playing Canadian football. I mean, when you look at like what the Saints have done, I mean, the Saints, the Saints are playing Canadian football to like the most incredible level you've ever seen in your life because they're able to do it. But the Patriots can't really make explosive plays because they can't make explosive plays. It becomes harder and harder. And, uh, you know, and I, and I think that's the problem and it manifests itself on the road. I've said this many times in this pocket, you evaluate your team as a general manager based on how you play on the road. And I just don't see the Patriots going into Kansas city, winning a game. I think they're going to have a hard time winning a game, no matter where they have to go. I think it's going to be a challenge all the time for them because I think teams can take away Brady. He didn't play well against Tennessee. He felt a lot of pressure. I think it's a tough one. They, they did not look good. Tennessee dominated that game. Actually, that score might not have been as close. And that's the third straight double-digit loss on the road by the Patriots this year. Not Maybe not third straight, but it's the third double-digit loss on the road. And you bring up, uh, you know, that Patriots team. Obviously, we saw Brady go 21 for 41, 254 yards. He did not have Gronkowski out there. Edelman goes out in the fourth quarter with an ankle injury. They tried to run the nice little... Uh, I, I think the, the way to look at this game and sum it up in a back-to-back sequence was the Patriots have the ball. They try to run the little, you know, out route where Brady rolls out and catches a pass. He falls down short before Woodyard hits him for a first down. And then Mike Vrabel says, well, anything you can do, I can do better. He gets Marcus Mariota. He runs the exact same play, gets Mariota to roll out. They throw the ball to Mariota for, you know, a 20-yard gain. And, uh, you know, it was a little bit of a, you know, rub it back in your face, you know, throw it across the line there, you know, back at his old coach. But it, it also exemplified the fact that this Tennessee team is playing with a lot of confidence. They get that win against the Cowboys on the road. They come home, they play this Patriots team. And uh, let's be honest, I mean, the Patriots tried to make Marcus Mariota beat him, beat this team with his arm. They played zone. They didn't want him to scramble. He only rushes for 21 yards. But like you said, he gets Corey Davis involved. He makes some big throws. And the Tennessee Titans now look like a team that, you know, in that AFC South, there's a bunch of teams moving up and down. And, and he showed today that he could possibly, you know, lead this team and look like the Marcus Mariota that we all thought he would be when he came out in the draft. No doubt. I mean, look, look I mean, no doubt they did. I mean, they just dominated the game. They took it over. And, you know, they look, I think what's going to haunt this Titan team is the decision Vrabel made 
over in London against the Chargers. I mean, they're four and five. I think that the two things that came out of this weekend that seems to me that, that are going to determine this this race is the decision Frank Wright made against the Houston Texans and the decision Vrabel made. I think those two decisions are going to come back to haunt them. So, but in this game, they dominated. I mean, I don't know that the Titans are that good. I just think the Patriots are struggling right now, and they don't even. And it's not because Gronk. I think Gronk has one touchdown for the season. They were struggling on the road with Gronk. Yep, it's not a it's not a new thing with this team, and we'll see what Bill Belichick can do. He seems to to find a way to to get his team going always, uh, and obviously in that division, it's you know they're they're pretty they have a nice comfortable lead there, so they'll probably figure things out. Let's talk about the AFC South. You brought up the Colts and Frank Reich. Uh, they took on the Jacksonville Jaguars. This was a a game where you know the Jaguars are one game away from the Super Bowl last year. They're now sitting at three and six on the season. Uh, they battled back in this one, but from the start, I mean the Indianapolis Colts are like a team that wanted to make a statement in their division. Uh, Eric Ebron goes for three touchdowns in this game. He was very excited about that, letting people know that uh, he was misused in Detroit, uh, but was very happy to, to make a statement to the rest of the league. And, you know, Andrew Luck, you know, goes twenty for 21 for 29, 285 yards, two touchdowns in that one pick, uh, which really wasn't his fault, honestly. So uh, just looking at that Colts team, I mean, it, it's a very frisky division at this point. A lot of teams involved, and I think everyone going into the year, us included, thought the Jaguars would be able to run it back as long as Blake didn't blow it up. And uh, for whatever reason, all these other teams are starting to buy in, and Bortles can Continues. I mean, it wasn't the worst game for Bortles. 26 for 38, 322 touchdowns, but they were behind the eight ball from the start, and the Colts were able to get a nice win at home. Look, you can't play the way the Jaguars play if you don't play great defense. I mean, you just can't do it, right? The whole thing, that the whole way they're built because of the, the Blake the, the Blake Eliezer <laughs> is that they have to be able to run the ball, control the clock, and they've got to convert third downs, and they've got to play the game in the teams, and they, got, they can't let the game get into the 20s. They get in the 20s, they're screwed. Mm-hmm. Right, so you got to be able to. Fournette's got to run the ball. He's got 24 carries, 53 yards. He averages two two. He had a long run of 11. So can't run the ball. Right now, it puts the ball back in Bortles' hands. But really, the bigger issue about the Jaguars, as much as I want to bitch about the great Blake Eliezer, is the fact that uh, you know their defense sucks. I mean, the Jaguars are horrible on defense. I mean, they couldn't stop them. They're six for 11 on third down. They couldn't get off the field. They couldn't really put any pressure on the lock. They didn't tackle very well. They attacked their coverages really well. I mean, this is a classic example of a team that read its press clipping. And as good as they were on defense last year, it ain't even close this year. And so, you know, you got to go back. I mean, they're three and six. It's over with for them. I mean, they're going to be – right now they're in the top ten picks if they do by, based on the schedule. And they're in the top ten picks. So, I mean, that's what it looks like. They don't look like a good team. I mean – they don't look remotely yeah, like Yeah, you, talk, you talk about top 10 picks. I mean, you saw Quentin Nelson, a guy who's a rookie on this team, completely, you know, truck and pancake Barry Church a couple times, and, and, and he looked like the guy that was the all-pro uh, against his defense. And it, it is hard as a defense, if you're the Jaguars, to, to keep that life alive when you know that you have to hold a team under 20 points to have a chance to win a game. Yeah. I mean, look, I, I mean, it all comes back to being able to play complimentary football, right? So if, if you want to play... If you draft Fournette, you're saying, look, we're going to run this ball a bunch. We're going to play great defense. We're going to be good in the kicking game, and we're going to limit this quarterback we have from making mistakes. And and it's a style we have to play. I mean, you watch all those basketball games. It's a style they have to play a certain style. If the game isn't in that style, they got no fucking chance. They're done. Mm-hmm. And it's, that's what happened. They got they camp the defense. They get behind. And so now the ball's in Blake's hands, but they really don't want it in Blake's hands too much because they know he could easily turn it over, even against the zone team who's reading his eyes, which is really more dangerous because 
you know, when you, Blake isn't exactly looking anybody off, right? So, you know, they can read on him and they can break on the ball really effectively. Look, I think the Colts do a great job. I think the Colts, even though they're four and five, I think it's one of the best coaching jobs in the league this year in terms of being competitive. Other than the Patriot game in Foxborough, they've been in every single game and have had chances to win those games. And Lux played really good on third down, the number two team on third down. They give up a ton of yards, but they're able to manage it. Look, they've done a great job. You've got to take your hat off to them. And if you're Jacksonville, I think if you're Jacksonville, you've got to go back to the drawing board and say, look, if we're not going to do this good on defense, then we're going to have to change some shit we're doing because it ain't going to work. And let's talk about Frank Reich's old team. Uh, obviously, you talk about what he's been able to bring into Indianapolis, give them some new life, some new juice, and they're playing uh, with a certain sort of cachet that we haven't seen in quite some time, especially in the Andrew Luck era. So it's good to see if you're an Indianapolis fan. Uh, the Cowboys and the Eagles, you talked about looking people off. Carson Wentz, I mean, at one point, he didn't even look and threw it directly to uh, Vander Eich, who the rookie, his first pick of the season, uh, and that gave you know some life to the Cowboys. The Cowboys go into Philadelphia, uh, they get a nice win, twenty-seven to twenty. Jerry Jones apparently walked in the locker room after the game and gave a Ric Flair woo, uh, and everyone was very excited about that. Um, and and you saw Carson struggle a little bit. I mean, he goes thirty-two for forty-four, three hundred six yards, two touchdowns, one pick. As we said, throwing it right to Vander Eich. But um, this Cowboys team comes in, gets a good win, and it gives them uh, you know belief in the chance that they could win this division the Eagles are now the 11th seed which is crazy to say a team that's uh you know the defending champions in the league right now especially with the wins back on the field but they're having their own struggles they lose Darby to an injury and now they got three corners out um and the Cowboys show some new life with Cooper a guy that they traded the first round pick for we we questioned it a bit you know knowing the Roy, Roy Williams what we saw before when they did this but so far so good if you're an Amari Cooper fan he's done some good things ran some good routes for their team Dak looks like he's composed and and Ezekiel Elliott showed some signs of that athleticism that we all fell in love with his rookie season. So as a Cowboys fan, Lombardi, or just someone who is watching the league and you see that Cowboys team, they look to be in a better position as far as uh, a positive outlook for the future moving forward. We know they got some games ahead that'll be a, little, a bit of a struggle, especially. Uh, but seeing the Tennessee you know, team come out and get a nice win against the Patriots, that gives them a little bit uh, of, you know, they can swallow that loss a little bit better knowing that they were able to beat the Patriots right at home. And now they can move forward and, and look at things in a more positive light. Well, look, I mean, you know, Cooper's had, he's had, he's played two games. He's been targeted 18 times. He's got 11 catches as long as 24 so far this year. So, you know, he's only had three plays all season over 25 yards. But I think the bigger issue here is the Eagles defense, Tate Frazier. I mean, they were really good against the run up until this game, you know, and they were really good on third down. But the, the fact is, and this is consistent to what they were last year, is when you get the Eagles' defense to play more than 27 minutes, you got them on the ropes. They're not built to play. They're built to create turnovers, and they don't create turnovers. I mean, they've only created two turnovers at home all season. I mean, that's all they've been able to do, and it goes right back to their defensive line. Their defensive line hasn't been able to take over the game. Derek Barnett's out. You know, Jernigan hasn't played. They're, they're not doing the things that they did last year with their defensive front to take games over. And the Cowboys had didn't turn the ball over. They didn't turn the ball over. And when the Cowboys don't turn the ball over, they're 4-0. When they turn it over, they're 0-5. So it's really as simple as that. I mean, the Cowboys didn't lose the game, and the Eagles just couldn't make any plays. And it goes back to a couple things. The Eagles have not been good on third down. They haven't been able to convert third downs like they did last year. How many times did we watch Eagle games last year to be third and ten, and I'd look at you and say, well, here it goes. They're going to, you know, and Wentz would run around, go from one side to the next, he'd throw it up, it bounced off six players, and they, oh, first down Eagles, you know? And like, mm-hmm. okay, you know, like, it's unbelievable, right? right? They had, they were seventh in the NFL last year in the most third downs of any team in football, 
with the illustrious company of Buffalo, Cleveland, Detroit, Cincinnati, bad offenses, yet they converted. This year, it ain't happening for them. And now that their defense isn't playing to the level, and they have to play, they play 33 minutes on Sunday. They can't play 33 minutes. The Eagles' defense can't play 33 minutes. If they play 33 minutes down in New Orleans, they'll give up 700 yards. Mm-hmm. Uh, write it down, Dave Frazier. <laughs> they'll give up 700 yards. So it comes back I'm writing to it down right complimentary now. football. <laughs> yeah, it comes back to complimentary football, right? So they got to be able to play effectively on offense to control the ball. They've scored 21 points in the first quarter all year. Last year, they had 106. They can't get the lead anymore. Like, people are on to them. And the way teams are defending them is if they can't play from in front, they're not the same team. Well, they played from in front against against Carolina. Yeah, they did. They couldn't convert a third down in the fourth quarter. So, to me, you know, I, it's going to be a tough road ahead for the Eagles. I mean, they got to play the Redskins twice, which is good. they got to go out to Los Angeles, play the Rams, and they got to go down there. That's four games of the remaining seven that are really hard. You know, the Giants won't be a tough game. You know, I and so I, I don't know. I just don't see them being able to turn it around. They keep they're they're the classic example of a team that wins a Super Bowl and says, "Just get us in the playoffs, and we're going to be fine." Mm-hmm. That never works. Yep, and I mean the the rushing attack continues to struggle. I mean we've seen, we Josh Adams had a nice twenty nine yard run. That was probably the highlight of the you know the day for him. But he was also you know stuffed on a fourth and one attempt that really hurt them. And then you know Golden Tate was a guy they brought in. Everyone was excited about the possession guy. He gets targeted early in this game. Uh, there was one uh, pass interference uh, that you know in the third quarter. A lot of people thought that the officials missed a very obvious obvious pass interference call that could have helped the Eagles out a little bit. That doesn't happen. But I mean, is there a chance that this Eagles team can gel on offense? And they may be, even if their defense is on the field for 33 minutes, they, they have enough firepower with Jeffrey if they can get him back in the fold. Obviously, we've seen what Ertz has been able to do. Ertz has been incredible for them, but he's been a one-man act right now. Uh, if they're able to get Tate and Jeffrey back to you know performing in a certain way where Wentz has two other options on the outside, at least a possession guy like Golden Tate, can that can that help them out where they can compete where even if their their defense isn't able to get some of these turnovers we saw before, especially on the back end with all the injuries, uh, they can still compete just because they have the offensive firepower? You know, I, I, I don't know, Tate Frazier. I mean, I think they're, they're, they lack that back. The back makes the spread. They don't have that back that really creates problems for them. You know, they miss Blunt. They miss Ajay. There's no doubt. They can't really run the football this year to the level that they need to, which opens up all their play action or read pass option stuff. You know, and so to me, I, I think they're really, you know, the, the explosive nature of their offense isn't there. They, they really can't make plays down the field. And when you see it, you know, They've had 19 plays over 25 yards all season. And five of them came in London when they played against Jacksonville, which has been notoriously for giving up big plays. So, I mean, last week against Dallas, they had one play over 25 yards. Until they can make chunk plays, it's really not going to work. And I think that when you look at everybody's numbers last year, I mean, Earth's average is 10 yards a catch. Aguilar's down to 9-9. He's under 10. Jeffries is at 11-8. I mean, those aren't explosive play numbers. When you look at the Rams, they get guys averaging fifth. The Chargers have two guys over fifteen yards a catch. You don't you don't do that, and it, and and when you do that, it becomes you can make plays, you can score easier. Right now, it's hard for the Eagles. I mean, I think Wentz is still great. I mean, that throw he made, the throw he made with a guy on his arm, and to get it in there has been remarkable. But the number one thing to me, the Eagles aren't as good this year as last year's offensive line. It, it, it's not even their offensive line isn't playing near the level it did last year. 
And that goes back to, you know, we do have some injuries and obviously, you know, Lane Johnson is battling back, not 100, not 100 percent at this point. But, you know, that was the that was the inspiring part of this team last year, Lombardi. I mean, we obviously saw Carson Wentz go down. That's the big name. to But Jason Peters goes down. There's so many guys that went down during the season and every single at every single turn. We kept saying, well, maybe this is the one that will derail this team. But for whatever reason, they were able to build off um, some of those losses and continue to win games regardless. And this year, it just does not seem that they have uh, that same driver, that same success and that same uh fortuitous some of the fortuitous bounces that we saw last year like you brought up uh have not gone the eagles way so far but luckily they are in the nfc east and that is wide open despite the fact that uh they are two games behind uh the washington redskins and the redskins had a nice easy win over the you know the buccaneers this week so we'll see once oh, we that get- wasn't easy at all hey, <laughs> hey, Frazier, that wasn't easy at all that was just, that was a gift win I mean, Ryan Fitzpatrick got a guy wide open on the one-yard line. He overthrows him by 10 yards for an interception. They move the ball up and there. I'm an idiot. I'm a freaking idiot. Like, just punch me in the mouth the next time you see me for thinking the Bucs were going to win that game. They gain over 400 yards. You know, they're moving the ball up and down the field until they get in the red zone. They can't put it in the end zone. I mean, the Bucs had every opportunity to win that game, and they couldn't even do it. They can't wait to give away a game. Like, to me, and now they're going to play Ryan Fitzpatrick, and nobody's talking about this in the national media. But the reality of it is, is the reason they're not playing Jameis Winston, I'm sure of this, they don't want Winston to get hurt. He gets hurt, he's on the books for $20 million next year. Mm-hmm. He's on the books for $20 million. So, I mean, why would you be playing Ryan Fitzpatrick after that game last week and not play Jameis Winston if he's your quarterback of the future? You've got to think, seriously, you've got to think somebody in the ownership, this isn't Jason Light because he drafted Winston, he wants to play Winston, he wants to pay Winston, right? Somebody in their ownership group saying, hey, no, we're not risking that $20 million. We're, I'm going to fire everybody's asses in here once the season's over. A new coach is going to come in and make the decision on Winston. But I ain't paying. I ain't guaranteeing $20 million for nothing. And nobody's talking about it. Like, why wouldn't you go back to Winston? He's supposed to be your future. Fitzpatrick is doing what Fitzpatrick typically always does. Win some, lose some. I mean, he's a Phil Negro. You don't remember who Phil Negro is. He's a, <laughs> he was a knuckleball pitcher for the Atlanta Braves. He'd win 20, lose 20 every year. You yeah. Know? Those knuckleball pitchers, they can throw like 5,000 pitches a year, you know? And, and that's what Fitzpatrick's going to win some, lose some. I mean, that's who he is. He's still Negro without the hairpiece. Lombardi, I had a mean knuckleball back in the day. Did you not know this? I need to tell you he about did. this. Yeah, I had a mean knuckleball. That's when I would come. I was a catcher, but sometimes I had to pitch in relief, so I'd come in and throw a knuckleball. The thing about a knuckleball is uh, it's day to day, just like Ryan Fitzpatrick, like just like you're saying. You know, you never know if you got it going or if you don't got it going. So you got to go out there and throw it a couple times, and if you hit it in the dirt uh, and they're swinging, you're all good. If not, uh, they're going to pull you out, in a, you know, in a, in a couple swings. So that that's a good part. But unfortunately, there's no backup. You know what's funny about the Bucks? The Bucks have gained 500 yards four times this season, right? They've gained over 500 yards four times this season. And they're one in three in those games because they've turned the ball over 10 times. Mm. I mean, this team can't wait to give you the football. They got 25 turnovers in nine games. Is there a more generous team than this team? I mean, seriously, they should be a greeter in Vegas. Like they they should be like, Dirk Cotter should be the greeter when you walk into, you know, like he'll comp your room food and just take whatever you want, my man. Like seriously, like at some point, when does this shit stop? (laughs) <laughs> well, the charitable Buccaneers, that's what they are. Maybe that's what the ownership group's about. I mean, I guess they're not that charitable because they don't want Jameis Winston to get $20 million, uh, uh for nothing. But, you know, maybe maybe for everybody else, they're willing to be charitable. Uh, we're going to take a quick break. Those are the, the performances that really jumped out to us. We're going to come back. We're going to give out awards. Um, and we'll get back into uh, the Mitchell Trubisky saga that is uh, with the Chicago Bears. 
All right, before we move on to Mitchell Trubisky, let's take a quick break to get a word from Yahoo. Did you get the Yahoo Sports app yet? Are you ready for live football on your phone? With the Yahoo Sports mobile app, you get live, local, and primetime NFL games all season long. Never miss your local game. Never miss a big national matchup. All you need is the Yahoo Sports app. Seriously, go get the app. It's your ticket to watching live NFL games wherever you want. No subscriptions, no fees. It's all football and all yours at the tap of an app. Watch live NFL games on the Yahoo sports mobile app now and meet sonos beam the smart compact soundbar for your tv and newest addition to the easy to use home sound system beam lets you play everything you love from music and radio to movies tv podcasts like gm street and more even use airplay to enjoy sound from your iphone or ipad on beam all with rich sound that fills the room you can enjoy deep bass and detailed stereo separation for music plus crystal clear dialogue for movies and tv all it takes is one cord to connect Beam to your TV, and it syncs with your existing remote, or you can get hands-free control with Alexa, which is built in. The Sonos app walks you through setup step-by-step, but if you don't even want to bother setting up your speakers, Sonos will send someone to do it for you. That's right. If you live in any major metropolitan area, up and running, we'll have a Sonos expert deliver and set up your system absolutely free. Just order from Sonos.com and select up and running at checkout if you qualify. Back to GM Street. All right, and we're back, as promised. Uh, we, we talked about chunk plays and trying to find chunk plays. And uh, a team that's been looking for chunk plays, especially from their young quarterback, Mitchell Trubisky, is the Chicago Bears, a team that is really trying to make a run at the NFC North. Now they're 6-3, and three and they have a legitimate chance to, to claim the NFC North. Everyone's excited. Khalil Mack came back, made some impressive plays on the defense. But as I said, the real question mark has been throughout this year, Mitchell Trubisky, he came out, completed his first seven passes, Lombardi. For seven for seven, 108 yards, uh, showed some some scrambling ability, something we know with his athleticism. But it, at the end of the day, he goes 23 for 30, 353 yards, three touchdowns, and also uh, a rushing touchdown. So four touchdowns on the day. Can I finally get excited, Lombardi? Can I finally buy my Mitchell Trubisky jersey? I, I told you. I, I mean, let's wait and see when he when he plays in Minnesota, when he plays up in, uh, you know, when he goes out to Los Angeles. Look, I, I'm not going to deny he didn't make throws in the game. But the guys were wide-ass open. I mean, there's a blown coverage, <laughs> right? The throws of the end zone, I mean, it was on the back shoulder. I don't know if he intended to put it there. But I'm not taking anything away from him. Detroit's one of the worst defenses in football. Their opponent quarterback rating is 120. Like, I, I love these people on Twitter that are, like, tweeting to me, like, see, see, we told you he was great. Like, seriously? Like, you're going to have to fucking beat somebody better than the Detroit Lions to prove he's great. Like, seriously? Like, I mean, really? I mean, do I tweet you when he throws the ball in the dirt seven times or out of bounds? I mean, he's <laughs> maybe, maybe, to throw maybe, off, right? Maybe he should. Like, maybe you know, that's a new thing. Go like, back at him. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I mean, no, nah, I'm not going to do it. It's just ridiculous. I got this stupid guy who thinks he's a genius with an eraser who's a, a draft expert. He's an insider for the Bears. <laughs> you know, I like, seriously, come on. You know, Kay Frazier, I mean, the guys, the, the, the teams that they've beaten, their combined record is 18 and 37. Okay, take nothing away. They've won those games. Take nothing away. Okay, you know, he's played great against Tampa Bay, bad defense. He's played great against Detroit, bad defense. He played great against Miami, bad defense they lost. Okay, he played okay against the Jets. Okay, they won. All right, after that, I mean, against Buffalo, he averaged 6-7 out of 10. And every other game, he's been below 6-7. I mean, look, he's going to have to make tight throws. He's going to have to make accurate throws. Like, like the good teams don't drop coverage like the Lions. Like, the good teams just don't let you run down the field with free access. 
Like the Lions just looked like they freaking quit. I mean, you talk about team that should go on the lamb. I mean, that was the Lions. The Lions were horrendous on the road. But I'm not taking anything away from them. All I'm saying is I'll be the first to say Trubisky's gotten better or Trubisky can read his progressions or Trubisky makes great decisions. When I see him play against the defense, that's going to be a little more challenging than he's thrown against Aaron. Like, that's really not the hard thing. And I don't understand why people get so so upset about it. Like, you're watching the same thing. The guy is 40 for 89 on throws over 10 yards. Okay? So, like, it, it, what, what are you seeing that I'm not seeing when you look at the numbers? Like, seriously, what are you seeing? You know, like, you know, like, I, I mean, like, he's, like, he's completed 14 passes over 20 yards. You know, it's like, Seriously, what are you seeing? Like, show me something. And most of the time, the guys are wide open. Now, if he does it against Mike Zimmer's defense, if he does it against on the road, I'm all for it. You know, I'm all for it. But when you look at him on the road compared to home, at home, he averages eight, six yards per attempt. When he goes on the road, he's below seven. When he goes on the road, he's got four touchdowns, three interceptions. Fact. When he goes on the road, he's got four fumbles. Fact. Can't we just let this thing play out before we anoint him and give him the MVP trophy? <laughs> I mean, it's like just have some, have some common sense here. I say, I say, give him the trophy, Lombardi. I think it's about time. As soon as I saw him uh, connect on that, I, like you said, I don't know if it was intentionally meant to be thrown to the back shoulder, uh, but it was an impressive toss uh, to the end zone. I mean, Allen Robinson coming back obviously was a big boost for them. The, the thing that was he encouraging, made a great play on the ball. Yes, yes. The thing that was encouraging to me is that they could run the ball. Look, I'm not disputing it. They did a good job. They did a good job. The defense or the Lions up front, not letting them run the football, and they made Mitchell make throws, and that was the good part to see that Mitchell, uh, when when his back was against the wall, he had to make some big throws, and uh, I think that was why people were, people just want to be excited. To the wall in that game, <laughs> his back was never to the wall in that game. I mean, this is the part people don't understand. When he's losing in games, he's 61 for 97, and he averages 6.74, Okay. When he's in the fourth quarter of games, plus or minus seven points, he's twenty-three for thirty-seven for seven-three. Okay, like like let's like when you see his numbers winning by twenty-two points, he averages over seven-eight by fifteen to twenty-one. He's at eight. When the game's close, he's at six-three-nine. When he's up by two touchdowns, he's at twelve-two-four. Let's just pay attention to the level of comp he's going against. I mean, I think that's key. Yeah, definitely key. And I mean, Snacks Harrison and 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 that front for the you know Detroit, they did show some signs in this game to be able to get some pressure on him. But you, like you said, I mean, there were some throws that uh, were wide open for Mitchell, but he was able to make those throws. And I think uh, the reason people were so excited is because uh, this is officially in their mind his rookie season because last year was a lost year with John Fox. So people were excited to see Nagy get excited. I think that was the real thing that stood out to me. Lombardi was something that we talked about was they had been scripting all these you know different you know it was thirty plays it would script out for Mitchell going into every single game. By the time we got into the end of those scripted plays, it looked like, you know, playground football at some points because uh, they just weren't able to get anything going. And in this game, you could see Nagy was finally ex- just as excited. He was standing with his quarterback and he was finally doing the T.O. That's my quarterback, you know. Uh, so just to see the excitement from Nagy got people uh, fired up in Chicago. So that that was good to see. And I think Mitchell, for the most part, uh, he, you know, led the team in rushing as well. Um, he, he showed that athleticism as we've seen, but he was able to show, uh, you know, some moxie in the pocket. That's a, that's all you need from Mitchell is a little bit of moxie. Yeah, well, I, I, look, I'm all for it. If he can do it, I'll be the first to tell you, but I got to see it. Like, I got to see him throw the ball with accuracy, you know? Like, yeah. That's all I'm saying. Like, I'm not trying to, you know, it's like it's just ridiculous. But anyway, 
that's that that debate is going to keep raging <laughs> on and on. I think it's great. I mean, it's good too. The national audience gets to see. That's the other thing that cracks me up, Dave Frazier. People say, well, you know, the national media, you know, doesn't like Mitchell. Like we get Direct TV, right? I get every game. <laughs> I watch every game today. Like this isn't 1970 when I was a kid. I had to wait till halftime to listen to Howard Cosell show five highlights of the five games that were played last week. Like that ain't the way it is now. <laughs> you know, like. I can watch every Trubisky throw right here on my computer. I can sit here and watch every single one. And, you know, like, seriously, just watch it. The numbers, the numbers are the numbers. All you got to do, all you had to do this week was watch Red Zone because Mitchell Trubisky was just throwing touchdowns all over the place. So if you watch Red Zone this week, you probably believe Mitchell Trubisky is the uh, greatest quarterback of all time. They just call it the Mitchell Zone. There that's, you go. That's right. Uh, let's, let's, let's call it the Mitchell Zone. It's, it's like the Twilight. It's like the Twilight Zone, the Trubisky Zone. There you go. That's perfect. Uh, let's get to our awards for Week 10. Uh, this is one of our favorite things that we do every single week. Uh, the first award we have is uh, on the lamb. Who's going to go on the lamb this week, Lombardi? You think of the Jaguars? Oh, there's no doubt the Jaguars going to go on the lamb. I mean, seriously, they got to bring their toothbrushes. I mean, this defense <laughs> is a joke. I mean, we haven't heard from Jalen Ramsey at all, but like they can't. They haven't been able to do anything recently to stop another team. And when you're built one way, like I said earlier in this podcast, and you can't do it, like – I'm so disappointed in them. I mean, they don't rush the pass real effectively. They can't get off the field on third down. They can't stop a running game. They can't stop a running game. They give up big plays. I feel bad for Marone. I think what's happened to Jacksonville is simply this. Marone, Coughlin, and were determined last year to make this team tougher. They went to practice against the Patriots. They did so many things to make this team tougher. And this year, they just wanted to make sure they got their team back. And I think they've lost that edge. They don't have the toughness anymore. People smack them in the mouth. They can't react. And the reaction so far have been uh, a malaise. It's just been, uh, they seem to be glossing, glossing over the details, especially defensively. And you can see the frustration on the sideline. You mentioned Jalen Ramsey. Uh, we heard a lot from Jalen Ramsey early in the season. Even when they were losing, he was talking a lot. And now it just seems... Uh, the fingers are going to be pointed down in Jacksonville. We'll see uh, how much uh, of a ripple effect there is. And, you know, if Marone or any of those guys, Coughlin, uh, make some significant changes. But for the most part, they are built the exact same as they were last year, a team that went all the way to the AFC Championship game, as we both know. And uh, this year, things have not played out that way, unfortunately, for those guys. Uh, next up, we have the Fred Palermo Award, the best game plan going into the week. Uh, who do you got there, Lombardi? Oh, that's easy. I mean, the Titans by far, right? I mean, the Titans had a great game plan. I mean, you can give it to the Cowboys and the Clapper. I mean, he had a good one, too. Just ran the ball, uh, you know, got Zeke going. But, I mean, look, the Titans did it on all three phases. You know, the opening kickoff. I mean, the thing that's got to drive Belichick most crazy this week is the fact that they put so much time in the kicking game, and their special teams has not been very good this year. They've given up too many plays in the kicking game. Kansas City opening play against Tennessee. Kid takes the Jennings, takes it almost back to the house. That's up great field position. That's not Patriot football. They're unlike everything. The Titans beat them in all three phases with a great game plan. I give it to the Titans. Congratulations to Mike Vrabel getting uh, the best of Bill Belichick in his first game. Continues to be a trend for the most part. Uh, you know, So I'm sure Belichick will sure that up as soon as Josh McDaniels takes another job. Uh, the next one we have is the KGB Award this week, the team that got duped. I think it's got to be the New York Jets, unfortunately. No doubt. I feel bad for my man Nick there. They got duped big time. I mean, look, when you give up 41 points to a guy who hasn't been in uniform, for most of the season. I mean, it just shows you the indictment. I mean, this team scored five, six, and nine points the last three weeks. I mean, and they score 41. I mean, seriously, you know, you got duped. That's bad. And, and I mean, obviously there's a lot of pressure on Todd Bowles and the whole staff there, you know, offensively, this jet team needs to get better on third down. They couldn't, they couldn't do it with McCown. I thought McCown would play way better than he did when he went in the game, but look, take your hat off to the bills and, and really take your hat off to Matt Barkley, who's sitting 
sitting on the street. He came in and played better than any quarterbacks played in Buffalo all year. Well, and speaking of quarterbacks in Buffalo, we got to pour one out this week for Nathan Peterman, who was released uh, from the Bills this week, went from the starting quarterback to now released. I'm hoping we can see Peterman again uh, at some point just for entertainment purposes, but uh, we will not see him in the Bills jersey uh, anytime soon, unfortunately. But, you know, kudos to Matt Barkley, the USC guys going up to Buffalo, doing a good thing. Uh, And the final one, Lombardi, final award for the week. If you don't know, now you know. What do we know? We know Aaron Jones is a legitimate running back in the NFL. I've been preaching for it. I love him coming out in the draft. When he got picked by the Packers, I loved it. I think he's a great player. I think they finally ran him. They decided, I mean, Jamal Williams, if he had the same amount of carries going right now in the season, and Rock, and uh, Jones has averages three yards a carry more, three yards a carry more than what Williams has with the same amount of carries. There's no debating it, right? Mm-hmm. Aaron Rodgers is a Aaron Jones with Aaron Rodgers makes them a more effective offense. I love Aaron Jones. Now you know he's a legitimate back in the league, and he's a blue-chip player, potential blue-chip player for that. Yep, you got Aaron Rodgers, and you got Aaron Jones, and uh, two Aarons in the backfield. That's nice. Uh, Before we get out of here, I just want to mention the four teams that we have as it currently stands. Top of the AFC, we have the Kansas City Chiefs and the uh, Pittsburgh Steelers. We have the Los Angeles Rams and the New Orleans Saints at the top of the NFC. You look at those final four right now, Lombardi, that is a crapshoot for who is the best team uh, in the NFL. I mean, all those teams are playing at a high level right now. I know the Steelers have gotten over the drama with Le'Veon. We'll see what happens with him if he'll go in and sign today. Most, Most people believe he will not, so he will be done there will be no chance for Le'Veon this season but between those four teams looking at all those four teams Lombardi which which team really stands out to you is it the Saints because it seems like most people in the so-called national media have have bought into all things New Orleans at this point I think Sean Payne's doing a great job I think his defense has played you know really well complimentary football offensively I've never seen anything like them I mean they can beat you so many different ways but let's just go back to Le'Veon Bell for a second here last night my man Booger said that he felt that he was being used by the Steelers. Like, seriously, <laughs> he said this on the air. Like, okay, you sign up to play football. You get a contract. You become a free agent. You negotiate the contract. You get offered a contract. You get franchise. The franchise was set up so that you get rewarded in the top five players in your position. You got offered a long-term contract, right? Like, how are the Steelers using him? Did they not, did they not send him his checks? Like at some point, and then they just, people just on TV let it go. Yeah, he's being used. He's saving his body. He's a running back. Running backs run the fucking ball. That's what they do, <laughs> right? Like they can't just take a year off. Okay, like uh, Ladainian Thomas said, I'm just going to take a year off, right? I want to save my body. Emmett Smith, I'm going to take a year off. I'm going to save my body. Look, you got offered, you got 14 million sitting on the table. You don't want it. Don't, if whatever your reasons are, and I'm not fucking debating them right now, Tate Frazier. But whatever they are, they are. But don't tell me you're being used. Like, don't tell me. And people say, well, Lombardi, he doesn't get his guaranteed money. No, he got offered his contract. He didn't like the guaranteed money. This, that's called a negotiation. Like, you don't have to take it, but you don't have to sit there and say it's not worth it. Like, there's guaranteed money in there. You may not think it's worthwhile, but you know what you should do? Come to work, and then you're going to be a free agent next year, and you'll get all the guaranteed money. And people say, yeah, man, but he's going to get hurt. That's why you have Lloyds of London. You go out and you pay for an expensive insurance policy. You protect your ass. Like, how are the Steelers using them? They said that on national TV last night. And nobody, nobody said anything about it. Like, how are they using them? 
I, I wish they were using him because that means that they, he would be involved in the offense and they would pass him the football and maybe let him run a few times. That would have been great if the Steelers were using him. I, I think I think that was uh, – maybe he was being used the other years when they were franchising him instead of giving him the long-term deal. Maybe that's the argument. But, uh, you know, he, he's on the booger mobile. He's got, got a bird's-eye view of all things on Barney. We just don't understand it. Maybe one day we will. I mean, I wish he would come on the podcast and explain to me. Like, I don't understand it. You know, the guy has – the guys. first of all – the guy has missed, he missed three games as a rookie, okay? In 14, he played all the games. In 15, he missed 10 games, okay? Mm-hmm. In 16, he was suspended for four. Were they using him when he got suspended? I don't know, but maybe I'm wrong about that, right? He got suspended, right? Like, yes. okay, they stood by him when he got suspended, but we're not counting that, right? We forgot about that. And last year, he played, he missed one game, he played in 15. <laughs> okay, does he have a lot? Of, he's had one year where he's had over 300 carries. One year, mm. Okay. One year over 300 carries. How is he being used? Like, seriously. Like, where do you just come up with this? Look, if you're going to defend the players on everything, which is what Booger does, he defends the players everything, right? Defend them all you want, but make a case for it. Just don't put it out there. Like, make a case. Here's why he feels like he's being used. Like, make a case. You know, the guy said 300 carries one time in his career. He's been suspended by the league. He's missed 10 games because of injury. Like, is he a great player? I'm the first to stand up on the table and say, yeah. Should he take the $14 million? Yeah, become a free agent. Because you know what, Tate Frazier? If he doesn't become a, a free if he takes the deal, he's going to get $25 million next year as a franchise player, which they're never going to do. Mm-hmm. Yep. Like, I don't understand it. Like, it's one thing to be sympathetic to a cause. I get it. But have some facts behind it. Well, here's some facts. Uh, you know, at this point, we're going to talk about uh, this Le'Veon situation all the way into the offseason leading into next year. We're going to figure out what team wants Le'Veon. Uh, there was a lot of trade rumors that are out, that were out there. But, I mean, for whom the bell tolls at this point, I mean, we're going to see where Le'Veon stands, what this actually means for his career in general. And, I mean, he seems content with his decision. And that's, uh, that, that's sort of the crazy part uh, for a lot of people that have kept up with us, especially Steelers fans who are driving themselves crazy trying to figure out what Le'Veon really wants in the end. And uh, this offseason will dictate that, especially if he doesn't sign today. Uh, Lombardi, any more thoughts on week 10 before we get out of here? No, you just let me rant. I appreciate it. I loved it. I loved it. I don't know. Maybe Le'Veon's, uh, you know, <laughs> maybe his agents and all that probably didn't, but who knows? Uh, we have really enjoyed, uh, you know, the NFL season so far. Week 10 was a lot of fun. Some shocking games. And in the one game we thought we'd have a great game was a complete blowout. That was the Bengals and the Saints. Uh, good to have Huey headlines back in the fold. Good to have Ferris Bueller talking to the media again, uh, being out and about. And we will be back on Friday. We'll figure out if we're going to play in Mexico City this week. Hopefully not. Uh, the Rams are down in Colorado Springs right now trying to get adjusted to the altitude. We do know that. So, you know, if we do go to me- go down to Mexico City, it'll be an interesting game, and we'll see Todd Gurley and those guys ready and revved up to go. Um, this has been GM Street, part of the Ringer Podcast Network. We will see you on Friday. Thanks, Dave Fraser. Meet Sonos Beam, the smart, compact soundbar for your TV. Beam lets you play everything you love from music and radio to movies, TV, podcasts, and more, all with rich sound that fills the room. It's super simple to set up, but if you don't even want to bother, Sonos will send someone to do it for you. That's right. If you live in any major metropolitan area, Up and Running will have a Sonos expert deliver and set up your system absolutely free. Just order from Sonos.com and select Up and Running at checkout if you qualify. Again, thanks for listening to GM Street. We'll see you on Friday. Thank you.